Overplanning or overthinking a situation is like trying to complete a puzzle without all the pieces. It's impossible. Our great expectations lock us into a rigid version of reality shaped by fragile thinking that shatters under the slightest change. How can we overcome the problems of overplanning and expectation? By swapping rigid thinking for fluid thinking in how we approach the past through reflection, the present by embracing unknown unknowns, and the future where plans are nothing but planning is everything. Expectation is the enemy, and this is the remedy. Welcome to Subject Matter. Hello and welcome to another episode of Subject Matter. This is episode four of season two, and I'm your host, Ben Bradbury. And for the next half an hour or so, whether you are commuting, cleaning, driving, or just chilling out listening to a podcast after a long day of work, we are going to be diving into the weird and wonderful world of decision-making, creating a practical mental model that you can use to help you make better choices in your day-to-day. As a reminder, a mental model is very simply defined as a better way for you to understand the world and yourself. You can think of it like a tool in a toolbox, much in the same way that a builder has a different tool to achieve a different task. Our brains can have different mental models to solve different problems, and the sharper your tools, the better your solutions. So what are we going to learn today then? Well, today's episode might just actually help you by saving you from making decisions that could have been better left untouched. And that is the decision to overplan or overthink with expectation. Because that's the problem with these two kind of activities. We're always left fumbling for a future that hasn't even happened yet. And we'll dive into the problem that this kind of rigid thinking creates in our lives, and we'll explore a mental model that you can use to be more dynamic, adaptable, and intentional in how you make your choices. Because that's the problem with rigid thinking. It shatters under stress. And you can think of this as our fixed expectations. Expectations only take our point of view into account. It's one fixed way of viewing the future. And in reality, having these expectations can hurt us dearly. Because in 99% of cases, things won't work out exactly how we planned. And it is in this delta, in crossing this divide, that expectation causes unnecessary anxiety. You can think of these questions that might have run around your brain like, why is this person not replying to my text? Or why is my job hunt not happening sooner than I expected? And the truth is, we never have all of the information. For example, your friend could be sick. That's why they're not replying to you. And yet we lose sleep over it all the same. And just like expectation causes us unnecessary anxiety, overplanning does as well. Having a plan is great, as we'll see later, but trying to control too far ahead, trying to overplan, can hurt us. Any changes or pressure, and suddenly our grand plans are thrown into turmoil. Nothing's changed in reality, but our minds are working overtime to deal with the stress. So what's the solution? Instead of being rigid, be fluid. Like water breaking against the rocks, fluid thinking makes us flexible, adaptable, and resilient to change. As we'll explore, there's ways to prime ourselves for fluid thinking in how we deal with our past, our present, and our future. 
But before we get there, we need to clear something up. And that is to not confuse expectation with optimism. The difference is that expectation is delusional. It's selfishly hoping that the future will change without our input. Remember, our version of reality not taking into account the real circumstance. Optimism, on the other hand, is rooted in how we individually act. The reason I'm underscoring this is because I believe optimism is an incredibly important trait for us to cultivate. And I don't want you to think about the fact that expectation makes us pessimistic. That is not what I'm saying here. Daniel Kahneman, the Nobel Prize-winning behavioral economist, has a strong opinion on optimism. And in his book, Thinking Fast and Slow, he says the following, and I quote, If you were allowed one wish for your child, seriously consider wishing him or her optimism. Optimistic people are resilient in adapting to failures and hardships. And as an aside, they're also less prone to depression, take better care of their health, and actually live longer too. Kahneman also says, Of course, the blessings of optimism are offered only to individuals who are only mildly biased and who are able to accentuate the positive without losing track of reality. That is the key difference here. Optimists don't lose track of reality. Expectations, by definition, are detached from reality. They are us hoping for what might happen without any concrete information. If you're interested in digging into how optimism can be so powerful, I recommend for further reading Matt Ridley's excellent book, The Rational Optimist, which makes the case for human progress and why society isn't as doom and gloom as the tabloid newspapers might make us lead to believe. And that is all metered in rational optimism. A friend of mine was once kind enough to send me a piece of art that had a bunch of inspirational phrases on it. And one of those phrases was, always believe something wonderful is going to happen. And as I looked at that hanging up on my wall, the way that I interpreted was that it was up to me to spark that wonder. I couldn't wait for it to hit me out of the blue. I had to take control over it. I had to be optimistic that something wonderful would happen, but I couldn't expect it to happen without any change on my part. So bear in mind, it's good to be glass half full but also don't expect to have all the answers. And it is with this turn in the story that the problem with rigid thinking emerges. When we think that we have all the answers, two of its main culprits rear their ugly heads and they are overplanning an expectation. You can think of overplanning like trying to predict an uncertain future. And sometimes, let's be honest, plans and predictions can be great, as we'll see. But other times, they can do us grave harm. Philip Tetlock was frustrated. He had been watching political advisors in the highest echelons of society make predictions about how the political economy would unfold. And he was convinced that their predictions were awful. The problem was he had no evidence and he had to quietly stand by as these political advisors made their predictions with no one to hold them accountable. So Philip Tetlock quietly and reservedly conducted a study over 19 years, studying 28,000 of these forecasts. And what did he find? Not only that these forecasters were far less accurate than their plans would have them suggest, but also the biggest learning was that it is how you think that matters much more than what you think. 
And the group of thinkers that suffered most? Rigid thinkers. Take, for example, their predictions around the Iraq war. Instead of them saying, I evidently had the wrong theory, the experts would instead declare, it almost went my way, or it was the right mistake to make under the circumstances, or I'll be proved right later, or even the evilness of the enemy is still the main event here. This is the exact problem that I want you to pay attention to, because getting locked into one grand theory of the future, one expectant reality that you believe with supreme confidence will happen, is dangerous. That's what our expectations are creating. A false hope that our version of reality, our only version of reality, will play out. We are setting ourselves up for anguish. It's the exact same thing with overplanning. Rigid overplanning doesn't work. I've personally struggled with this plenty of times before because overplanning is trying to keep a tight grasp on controlling everything that happens. And I've learned the hard way what I've realized is that there's a difference between trying to control and being in control, which we'll come to later. The problem is, if I believe I have all the variables under my control and I'm trying to control them, then in theory, that lets me plan further and further ahead. But of course, this overplanning is a fallacy because we never have all of the variables. And this leads to a vicious cycle. I think I have all the information. I can plan further, which gives me more information so I can overplan more. And eventually the wheel is going to fall off the track. This gets even worse if we're part of a team. The last thing that team members want to be is controlled. Team members want freedom and they want the trust from their bosses that they can deliver. And perhaps you can resonate with this, having a micromanaging manager or someone who wants to control or project too heavily onto your team. The truth is, trying to control everyone is exhausting and damaging to the relationships that they are a part of. And if you want one more example for why this hurts, look at the economy. Something that the economist Howard Marks explained in his memo, Economic Reality, is what happens when the demand of a product rises. Well, new factories are built to accommodate them. But oftentimes, the rate of these factories opening is far more aggressive than the consumer demand actually is. They are expecting more demand to grow. But the economy is cyclical. And what happens when demand swings back the other way? We're left with factories gathering dust and rust that have no work to pump into them. The economy overplanned. Rigid thinking occurs at the widest levels in the economy and in large companies, but every problem starts with an individual decision. Rigid thinking deeply can affect our personal lives. Have you ever been saddened or anxious when one of your ideas didn't play out? Or how about having your idea shot down by a group of friends? That is you experiencing the unnecessary pain of expectation. Thinking we have all the answers and we can always be 100% in control is dangerous. It makes us brittle. It makes our strategies vulnerable, and it makes us likely to shatter under the slightest change or pressure. So now we know the problem, let's get optimistic and dive into the solution. How can we counter rigid thinking? By improving our actions in the present and also improving our plans that take place in the future. But before we look at the present and the future, we need to begin by taking a step back. I'm going to give you in just a second a set of activities, and I want you to think and tell me whether you think they are productive. Firstly, long walks in the park. 
Secondly, sitting and listening to music. Third, staring at a painting and finding new details. Long walks in the park, sitting, listening to music, staring at a painting. Are they productive? Some of you who are more type A might not think so. But these are all regular activities for one of today's foremost thinkers, Simon Sinek. He regularly gives himself time to unplug and reflect. And understanding this is where we can understand our relationship with fluid thinking. This kind of intentional reflection allows us to understand our reality better. Reflection simply means pondering the past and the problems that we're working on and asking why things unfolded the way that they did. In Simon Sinek's case, this is long walks, listening to music, staring at a painting. But how we reflect is completely fluid. For you, that could be writing in a journal. It could be speaking out loud to yourself or a conversation with a close friend. But by engaging in reflection, we can get a better perspective on what we are working on in the moment or what has already happened and not looking a moment further, not expecting or over planning. To see the power of this reflection, let's look at another example, the author of Sapiens and Homo Deus, Yuval Noah Harari. This is a guy who has written some of the most seminal works on human evolution in the 21st century, and he spends up to a quarter of his year meditating. He uses meditation to reflect and see things how they really are. In his opinion, this unlocks his potential as a thinker, and he actually dedicated Homo Deus to his meditation guru, saying, I could not have written this book without the focus, peace, and insight gained from practicing Vipassana for 15 years. I've personally experienced this as well. I was living in Bali last year, and there I really unlocked the power of silence. In Bali, on this tiny island in Indonesia, there's so little infrastructure compared to the fast cities that I was used to. There's no skyscrapers, subways, or shopping malls, just silence. And the empty space created something fresh and most welcome, abundant room to think. That silence created much sharper clarity of thought. And this is the key principle for us because we don't need to be writing a book or travel to a remote island to get this. The key thing is creating blank space in our lives to reflect. In the words of chess player and polymath Josh Waitzkin, I cultivate empty space as a way of life for the creative process. And this empty space for you could look like a long walk. It could look like exploring a quiet garden or even just taking 10 minutes from your desk to unplug on the sofa. The key is no stimulus. That means, I'm afraid, no scrolling. Simply allow the world to pass you by and reflect. Overplanning and expectation tries to preempt what will happen. Reflection is rooted in what we can control and our experience because sometimes it's the act of slowing down that actually allows our thinking to crystallize, sharpen, and speed up over the long term. With regular reflection as our foundation, we're ready to step into the present. What needs to change to overcome rigid thinking? We need to shift our plans and expectations moment by moment with fluid thinking. The legendary fighter pilot John Boyd came up with a model that revolutionized military decision-making. It's used widely across sports and business today, but that's a story for another episode. All you need to know today is that John Boyd's model was a theoretical plan. 
And in writing about John Boyd, the author Franz Ossinger pointed out that while Boyd came up with a theory about how his plan should work, you have to take into account how he actually applied it. And we can call this difference strategic theory versus strategic thinking. Strategic theory is fixed. It's rigid. We are locked into Boyd's overall plan. It can't change once it's been made. But how you actually apply the plan, Boyd's strategic thinking is malleable. And it is this fluid approach that we want to learn from. So let's take a deeper dive into military psychology. There's a popular phrase in the military, no plan survives contact with the enemy. The commander Napoleon said not a single one of his battles ever went exactly according to plan. And for an over-planner who was trying to execute that one rigid version of reality, that would have spelled disaster. But Napoleon was not just a theorist, he was a strategic thinker. He was fluid. And he remains one of the most successful military commanders of all time precisely because he was able to adapt his plans in the moment. And a great way to think about these unknown variables, these adaptations we have to make, comes from the former Secretary of Defense, Donald Rumsfeld. And he says, I quote, There are known knowns. There are things we know we know. We also know there are known unknowns. That is to say, we know there are some things we don't know. But there are also unknown unknowns. The ones we don't know, we don't know. Whether on the battlefield, in the office, or in our homes, we are going to encounter unknown unknowns. The things we don't know, we don't know. We simply don't have enough information to always be in control of our destiny. And that's why fluid thinking matters, because it's us shifting in real time and responding to the needs of the moment. We're not planning any further ahead than necessary, what we can call over-planning, or expecting something to happen. But instead, we're being smart enough to react to shifting conditions. This is being in control and not trying to control. Let me give you a recent example where I applied fluid thinking. My most recent article on my blog is on what ancient Greece can tell us about building brands that last. And the big idea is that ancient Greece embraced its uniqueness as a culture. And I applied this idea to a client and actually wrote about that in a case study at the end of the article. Now, to publish this, of course, I needed my client's sign-off. But I also needed to record the audio that I was going to publish alongside the blog. Now, at a first glance, I have a problem. I've got a decision to make. Am I going to delay until he approves? Or am I going to publish without approval? And obviously, none of these I want to take because this damages my schedule or goes against my ethics. So I can't take either of those choices. But what if my plan is fluid? I realize that I can record 80% of the audio and then leave the 20% segment of the case study right till the end until he approves. And so I was able to still execute my plan with fluid thinking. And then when the variables, when the information came into my control, then I could act. And that's the key thing about fluid thinking, because it lowers the barrier to action. We can break down our plans into its little constituent parts. If we don't feel like we need all the answers, it's easier to start, to share that first idea that we've been pondering with the world, to start hunting for that new job and press go on the search, or to take up that new daunting hobby, which appears intimidating, and actually just be prepared to fail and learn, because we remind ourselves, I can control my actions, but I can't control the outcome. You can apply this fluid thinking to teams as well. Teams need to have an agreed goal and an agreed time frame to meet those goals. 
And obviously, the support they need to flourish, if they're new, they might need training. But what they don't need is a specific step-by-step roadmap on how to achieve it. The process is in the eye of the performer. It is up to us to allow our teams and trust them to deliver on the objective. And yes, have regular meetings to check that they're on track, but you've got to let people swim. And that's the power of fluid thinking. Because you can let them know that they have the support to touch the bottom and keep their head above water, but the fluidity to execute the plan however they would like. So the big question for you is, how comfortable can you be in the unknown? Because the more comfortable you can become not knowing, the less need there is to overplan and to expect. Now, I'm not saying that plans as a rule are bad. On subject matter, of course, we love sharing the other side of the story. And indeed, the origin of the word plan comes from the Italian planta, meaning plan of building, or from the French plat, meaning ground plan. In the case of an architect, without a plan, buildings simply aren't made. Plans do have a place as that foundation, and let's explore exactly where that is. A few years ago, I went to the London offices of advertising agency Saatchi and Saatchi to see their global CEO, Robert Senior, speak. And Senior gave a plethora of great life advice, but the one piece of advice he gave that stuck with me all these years later is a six-word phrase. Plans are nothing. Planning is everything. Plans are rigid. In Senior's advertising industry, if you were to forecast a 10-year plan to use a specific medium, let's say like a television campaign to go live in 2010, ending this year, by the time it's actually finished, something else has come along and cannibalized your market share. It's made your plan obsolete. And in this case, in 2020, that would be Netflix and Amazon Prime taking the eyeballs of traditional television. In the same way that adding frivolous details to a building's plan will delay the project, so too will over-planning in our own lives delay our progress. And that's why fluid planning is important. If we're able to use fluid planning as blueprints for a building, we would sketch a rough outline of what we think the building would look like, but then be prepared to change the execution and adapt brick by brick by brick. So obviously this isn't possible for architects. I would well recommend if you are an architect to follow your plan through to conclusion. But in the exception that you are not, and you are a person just like me living your life, have a plan, but meter it with realism. You can think one year, three years, 30 years ahead if you need to. But when circumstances change, and they will, recognize the need for planning. Be fluid. Reflect on why things have changed assess the things in your control and out of your control too, and adjust your plans accordingly. The difference between a rigid plan and fluid planning hits on a fundamental truth. Rigid plans miss the key ingredient needed to learn the best course of action, and that is human participation. Of course, have your initial idea, but then get people to test it and use it, learn from them. In the case of startups, the popular analogy is building a startup is jumping off of a cliff and then building a plane on the way down. I propose we can take that one step further. As we build that plane, as we share our idea, we need to shepherd passengers onto your half-made plane, learning what they like, what they don't like, as life races past you on all sides. Now, if this sounds intimidating, don't worry. This isn't just building a company. This is building any bridge of progress in our own lives. We might think we can plan for all the answers, yet let's be honest, we rarely can. It's only by using our plans in planning and using our products that we can actually figure out their best purpose. Mobile phones weren't invented to catch Pokemon. 
but they sure are great at it now. The lesson? Experience is always the greatest teacher. So let's review what we've learned today. The antidote to rigid overplanning and fixed expectations is fluid thinking. Rigid thinking is like ice, delicate and shatters easily under pressure. Fluid thinking melts that ice into water. It's dynamic and adaptable to what life throws at us. Three big lessons for you here today. Expectation and overplanning fixes us to one version, our version of reality creating rigid thinking. And remember, it is this resulting lust for total control that means our plans will inevitably shatter under the slightest pressure. Secondly, you can solve that problem by melting our rigid regimes into fluid thinking. Reflection lets us better understand where we've been, while embracing unknown unknowns helps us become comfortable not trying to control, but instead being in control. And finally, remember that plans aren't all bad. They do have a place as a foundation. It's great to have a direction of where we're heading, but the key is to remain fluid in how we get there. Plans are nothing. Planning is everything. In life, we're, we have these expectations and we set these goals and it's understanding that those goals aren't fixed and that actually they change. And often it's the, I think the word journey at the moment is being torn apart and everyone hates it, but it's that process to get to that end goal. That's actually, that's the interesting part that you need to focus on. That is next week's guest, where we will be applying the theory of rigid versus fluid thinking in her own life and see how it has shaped her career and her decisions. So thank you very much for listening to this episode of Subject Matter. As always, you can subscribe on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to make sure you don't miss out when our next episode goes live on Tuesday. Our big focus this season is making subject matter as relevant and practically useful to you as possible. If there was something that you liked or you didn't like or you'd like to see more of, we would love to hear from you. You can reach me directly at ben at benbradbury.com over email, or you can reach me on Twitter at benbradbury underscore. So without further ado, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week for the next episode of Subject Matter.